You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I'm not going to come on your show and suggest that, like, oh, the Kuzmenko era is over. And Garland gets it free to Kuzmenko, winding into the slot. And a goal, he scores! Bobrovsky leaves his crease. Oh, what are you going to do? He's doing the roof, Daddy! Oh, look at that! Look at this, look at that! I don't know if they get any easier than that, but uh, I'm not going to play. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver. Six o'clock on a Friday. Sweet, sweet Friday. It is Halford. It is Brough. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Brough of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Here's Jason Bruff to tell you more about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Big day, big show. They always are on Fridays, and this Friday is no different. Uh, we're going to be doing Food Bank Friday today, by the way. It's our annual fundraiser, Christmas time for the Food Bank. David Long, the CEO of the Greater Vancouver Food Bank, is going to join us in about 20 minutes to talk about today's, today's initiative. We're going to do a little bit of learning about uh, food waste and a variety of other things that are very important this time of year for the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. David Long, the CEO, is going to join us at 6.20, 6.30. Brady Henderson, ESPN's NFL Nation Seahawks insider, is going to join us. Uh, the Seahawks don't play for a couple days, not until Monday Night Football in Philadelphia, but we will preview the game with Brady at 6.30. 7 o'clock, AJ from AJ's Pizza on East Broadway is going to join us. Uh, we'll talk a little a little baseball with AJ, but we will also give away a $100 gift card to his fantastic pizzeria. Uh, that's going to go to the best Ask Us Anything. A reminder, it is Ask Us Anything Friday on the show. Uh, we're going to do our locks of the week at 7.15. 7.30, Bob the Moj Marjanovic is going to join us. 8 o'clock, it's Rick Dollywall. We're also giving away tickets to see SmackDown. WWE's Friday Night SmackDown. It's a frightful night. Uh, January 5th, Rogers Arena, we're giving away a pair of tickets. So uh, we'll just set this out at the beginning of the show. If you want to win a $100 gift card to AJ's Pizza Place on East Broadway, send it and ask us anything, hashtag it AUA, and put a pizza emoji into the text. If you want to win WWE SmackDown tickets, that's what we learned. Totally different thing. Not that different. Hashtag it WWL. Put a ticket emoji into the text. All texts must go to 650-650, the Dunbar number. Uh, it's Ask Us Anything Friday. we got a bunch of guests. We have a million things to get into. So without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by, by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. What a night at Rogers Arena 
on Thursday night. Roberto Luongo goes into the Ring of Honor in a very fantastic speech by the former number one. Thatcher Demko goes out there on Roberto Luongo night and makes 36 (laughs) saves in a shutout victory. Canucks win their fourth in a row. Canucks win. Canucks win 4-0 against the Panthers at Rogers Arena. And I I thought it was great of Sergei Bobrovsky to uh, pay tribute to Roberto Luongo's stick handling um, (sighs) with that great pass to Dakota Joshua. Laddie, how do we defend the goalie in this instance? Uh, I don't think he can. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, a mistake. Uh, um, you know, I don't like I, the comparison to Luongo, though. So that I was tweet, an unneeded shot. I tweeted, yeah, I know you're very defensive of Luongo. Um, <laughs> what a I, jerk. I tweeted out um, last night after the game that I have not felt this good about the Canucks in a decade. Granted, that might be like kind of a low bar to get over, but I feel better about them than I did during the bubble run. Um, and a lot of it lately stems from their bottom six, which is kind of weird, but I can't say enough about the work that Connor Garland did last night. Uh, And it started with that puck battle he won at the end of the shift. I think we should mention that was, that was at the end of the shift that he easily could have given up on that play and been like, yeah, I'll just do a flyby. I don't know who the same, I I don't know who the Florida Panther was uh, with the puck, but Garland Worked hard to get it off him. And then Kuzmenko was coming off the bench. He's fresh. And he poked it to Kuzmenko. And Kuzmenko swooped in there. And he made it one nothing. And the Canucks kind of rolled from then. Go- Garland's motor was really running all night. And how about Dakota Joshua with two goals? Um, again, Bobrovsky with just an awful pass to Joshua to make it 3 nothing, but Joshua scored the second goal to make it 2 nothing, And, of course, Brock Besser scored again at the tail end of a 5-on-3 power play. Besser gets another goal from the paint. He's like the new garbage man. Remember when we tried to turn Louis Erickson into the garbage man just because that was the type of goal he typically scored? Well, Besser has scored a lot of goals from in close where he's just where you need to be to put those loose pucks in. And we've always thought of Besser as the scorer who scores on his great shot. And he's done that this year as well. But a lot of goals have been from in tight. Um, You know, the third period, I know the analytics will say that uh, the Panthers controlled play and whatever analytics, whatever. No, but seriously, I watched that third period and it was like, yeah, the Panthers might be racking up shots, but they didn't feel dangerous to me. Like pa- it, 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 it didn't seem like they were going to mount a comeback like the type the the Leafs mounted on the Columbus Blue Jackets yesterday. The Leafs came back from 5 nothing against Columbus to force overtime. That wasn't what was happening. That was a team, maybe the Canucks, you could say, were sitting back a little too much, well, playing with fire a little bit too much. And I know G.T. Miller after the game was saying that, you know, he was kind of in a grouchy mood for whatever reason, and and he was saying that his line got caved in. But I think this is a team right now, now that's just trying not to feel too satisfied with itself. And Rick Tockett said after the game, you know, like you can appreciate where we're at, but tomorrow is a new day, and you got to earn your earn your ice time the, the next day. And let's not be too satisfied. But I am pretty satisfied with this Canucks team, and they, you know, if you think about how this five game homestand went. Started with a sloppy loss to the New Jersey Devils that I think woke them up. And then they rattle off four straight wins over, yeah, some pretty good teams. 
Here's my takeaway, and it's very befitting uh, the narrative because of what happened last night. So on a night in which we honor the greatest goalie in Vancouver Canucks franchise history and put him up in the ring of honor, on a night where two goalies go to do the ceremonial face-off, uh, it's another fantastic night for Thatcher Demko. Uh, again, say what you will about the quality of shots or what have you, but it's his uh, third shutout of the year, second shutout on this homestand. So think about this. This homestand, this very important five-game homestand that, as Jason pointed out, was against some very good opponents, starts with a 6-5 loss to the New Jersey Devils. The first game in which the Canucks had surrendered six goals in a single game this season. Just think about what the goalie tandem of Casey DeSmith and Thatcher Demko have done since that six-goal six uh, loss to New Jersey. They come back with the Smith in the next game. He gets his first shutout as a Vancouver Canuck, a 2 nothing win over Minnesota, largely responsible for the win, given how bad they were in the first period, and DeSmith really bailed them out. Then they go three in a row with Demko, and he allows four goals over three games. So, in its totality, since they allowed the six goals for the first time this season, they then came back, won four straight games, and allowed four goals over those four games. Like, that, to me, is the story of the homestand. I know that there were a million other things. I know that Bessel was racking up goals like crazy. I know that the third line has been fantastic. And, you know, D- Dakota Joshua got a pair of goals last night. I know uh, Andre Kuzmenko got the game winner last night. But for me, the story of that homestand, now that it's completed and they head out for the weirdest back-to-back I can remember, the 11 a.m., 12 p.m. back-to-back over the weekend. <laughs> a lot of afternoon hockey. Just bizarre. I mean, it's great, I guess. I didn't realize this. Um, someone kind of put it in my brain last night that this actually gives them the opportunity to fly after the game, get into the city that night, and have like a proper evening. You can mm, eat dinner. Sure. You can get checked into the hotel, and then you can go to bed. You're not getting in at 2 in the morning. But nevertheless... Um, on Roberto Luongo night, I think it was very befitting that the goaltending was as good as it was. And look, this has been, there's a reason that the Canucks are 29 and 1 through 30 games. There's a reason they have 20 wins through 30 They have 30 29 games. wins and one loss? It's 29 in, and 1? Wow, a, holy a, cow. They've got a really good chance to make the playoffs. <laughs> um, and the goaltending's been a big part of it. They've been healthy, they've been good, and there's been two of them cooking this year. Yeah, so coming up for the Vancouver Canucks, uh, as Halford mentioned, they have a couple afternoon games this weekend. Saturday in Minnesota, that's an 11 a.m. start our time. And then Sunday, they're going to play Connor Bedard and the Chicago Blackhawks. Noon start our time. Uh, They head uh, to Nashville after that to play on Tuesday. And Thursday... They're in Dallas before they return home for three games starting against the San Jose Sharks. So So the the nice thing about the schedule, actually, is that in a nine-day stretch after the Nashville game, between the 19th and the 28th, they only play three times, Mm -hmm. right? There's the Christmas break cooked into there as well. But um, after a fairly loaded schedule, and that that four-game swing in six nights through Minnesota, Chicago, Nashville, and Dallas, that's a tough swing. Right? There's not going to be a lot of rest in between games. They've got a couple of good opponents in there. But look, and, things, and, and Chicago. Yeah, things. Yeah, and then there's the Chicago Blackhawks, who <laughs> got absolutely pumped last night, by the way. Um, I do want to mention, I was trying to set it up on a tee here, the goaltending thing, because we do need to talk about the Roberto Luongo ceremony yesterday. So it was, um, it was a great speech. That was my first thought and my first takeaway. Actually, I was driving around at the start of the game yesterday, so I got to listen to it in the car. Mm-hmm. The theater of the mind, you know, Jason. Yeah. The, just was, just the audio, no visuals whatsoever. Well, the apparently. visuals was actually pretty impressive because... 
go out there all by himself. He was holding court. And look, look, I did see a few complaints that it was kind of a bare-bones ceremony, but I thought Luongo's speech was terrific. Uh, Sometimes there's something to be said for the simplicity of a ceremony, and when you've got a guy that can speak to a crowd like Roberto Luongo apparently can, there are not many players. There are not many people. There are barely any politicians that could speak to 20,000 fans like that with no notes. Uh, now, I know he felt bad that he forgot to thank his goalie coaches, okay. and he mentioned that to Murph in the intermission, but I thought it was just a really genuine and honest speech. He you know, he thanked his former teammates and coaches and all the people that, that helped him along the way, um, and I love that he saved the last part for the fans, and I love that it was honest. You know, he had a line where, Uh, He said, you know, look, it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies because there's no sense pretending it was smooth sailing the whole time in Vancouver for Roberto Luongo. It wasn't. And that's actually what made his time in Vancouver so fascinating and maybe even so special. Uh, I just hope Luongo felt the love from the crowd. I loved that the crowd lewd every time Demko made a save. Mm. I thought that was awesome. Um, But again, I just hope that he felt the love from the crowd. I think he did. Things got pretty intense while he was here for good reasons and bad. Sometimes he was the hero. Sometimes he definitely was not the hero. But it was mostly good times. And without him, I'm not sure if we'd have ever had all those nail-biting moments that makes sports worth watching. I don't know if, you know, without Luongo, what direction the team would have taken. Because, again, if you weren't here when Luongo first came to the Vancouver Canucks, he was 90% of the team. Yep. And I love, uh, by the way, credit to Shorty as well, um, who shared his his memory of Luongo and he shared a, of the, of the first game that he ever saw Luongo play. And it was in Detroit and Luongo was brilliant. And, you know, Shorty was saying that he looked over at Tommy Larshine and he was like, goaltending is going to be a little different from now on. Right. And that's, and there was a feeling in Vancouver for the first few years of Luongo that he was like unbeatable. This right? was going to change everything yeah. in Vancouver. Now some cracks in the foundation, Definitely emerged, um, and a lot of it was because of the series against the Chicago Blackhawks. But, you know, there are three hockey games in my life that I've watched that ended in what I call true sports happiness. Game 7 against Calgary in 1994, when Burray scored. The Olympic gold medal in 2010, and Game 7 against Chicago in 2011. Luongo was the winning goalie in two of those games, mm-hmm. right? So I feel a debt of gratitude to him that he was part of those games. And, and in the, I don't even call them games. I call them like experiences because those were experiences. It wasn't even comfortable watching those games, right? Yeah. You're, you, were, you were so nervous, but the sense of joy that I had when they won those games, when Canada won, when Sid scored, when Burroughs scored for the Canucks. And I love that Luongo um, made that part of his speech where, where he said like, most or or even like all of the great moments that I've looked back happened on this ice. And he was pointing to what he was doing when Sid scored and when Burroughs scored and, you know, and and when Bieksa scored as well. Um, It was, uh, I thought it was a terrific speech and uh, credit to Luongo because he went out there, just him, 
a double-breasted suit and a microphone, right? You know, yeah, and, I know. And, no, and, it no, was, and, right. it was, and it was very impressive, and there's not many people that could have pulled that off like he did. Well, you know, I, was, I don't want to get too introspective here on a Friday. We're supposed to be having fun, kicking loose. It's a dog dinner tonight. We're going to have a good time there. Fiesta Friday. That's right. And Food Bank Friday. Those two things collide today. But look, um, this is sort of... It, okay, two things here. One, it's the closing of a chapter because... For the 2011 group, this is kind of it now, right? Like, we're, 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 we're done sort of honoring and celebrating and remembering. I, I think and, a few more guys might go into the Ring of Honor. I think Edler might go into the Ring of Honor. Right, but the 20, I mean, when you think 2011, you think Sedin's Luongo, Bieksa, Kessler, you know, Burroughs, right? They've all sort of had their day. They've had their honor. And, I, I you know, it's, it's interesting because Luongo, in a lot of ways, that's an era. Like, we're not going to see that again. In goaltending, I mean, I don't think you're ever going to see an NHL netminder play 76 games in a season like Roberto Luongo did in his first year in Vancouver, just right? incredible. Huh? Like, it just, it's its an unbelievable total. He, has, he played four straight seasons of over 70 games because he was playing over 70 for the Panthers. It, and, you know, when the Canucks got him, I guess maybe we didn't know as much about the position and the workload that we know now or maybe what's required, but... Luongo, I mean, that was a franchise goalie in the truest sense of the word. Some would argue you still don't know. Not right. <laughs> the truest right. sense of the word, though. When they acquired him, it wasn't just about, uh, you know, digging up the bones of the goalie graveyard and sort of exercising the demons. There was also a sense of this guy in the net is our MVP. He's our best player. He means everything to the group to the point where they named him captain. And I know we talked about it yesterday, and he talked about what a big moment that was for his career and how much it felt to him. But I don't think you're ever going to see those things again, right? Who's Is there really now a franchise goalie that's an MVP of the team? Like, you could make the argument that Thatcher Demko might be it for the Canucks, but Thatcher Demko's not going to get to 76 games played. They're not going to run him out there every single night. Hellebuck maybe in Winnipeg? I guess Maybe, maybe, right? But the, that, that whole era is gone. And, you know, I, I often think about it when I was thinking about this last night about the guy where everything is placed upon his shoulders. Maybe that's why Luongo had so many peaks and valleys during his time in Vancouver. It's possible, it's yeah. Because he, yeah. It's because he had a lot of responsibility thrust upon him. Well, Try- Gillis was actually saying that uh, um, on that interview with Matt and Blake, he was saying that um, one of the reasons they turned to Corey Schneider at times was because they thought, and, and in the playoffs, they thought Luongo was tired. It could and, be. And, and, you know, the, and, and Gillis was, of course, at the forefront in terms of NHL executives tracking fatigue and sleep. And he'll tell you about it. But, yeah. like, you know, um, it, it, you know, I, I do wonder um, sometimes, you know, if things would have gone a little bit different in some of these playoffs if Luongo had had more rest during the regular season. Right. But, you know, like, I, I, anyway, I don't want to go down that road. No, no, I just want right to go now. down the road of, look, this is a big guy that I, you know, in a lot of ways you're not going to see another Roberto Luongo because partly because of the personality, partly because of the time. Like, you're never going to recapture that moment in time, right? It's just one of those things. But it's very interesting. And, you know, it's a great thing in a lot of ways, right? Because you want to be... Remember his particular time in history, and it's been done now, right? He's going to be forever in the ring of honor. Wasn't I so right about the St. Louis Blues? It's not really an ask us anything. Wasn't I? It's more like a pat you on the back. 
yeah, Friday, yeah, yeah. but that's fine. Yeah, you were right about they're, the St. Louis Blues. They're a mess. And, um, you know, I well, thought... Well, you were I, wrong, actually, because you said Craig Berube was going to be the first coach fired this season. He was mm. the third, you big stupid jerk. Right. But, but yeah. like, that team is broken, right? That team is fundamentally such a mess right now. Craig Berube fired. Yes. Jordan Cairo getting booed by the fans last night after what seemed like a pretty dismissive comment of Barube's firing. Jordan Cairo crying after the game to like Jordan Cairo. Okay. Crying after the game to reporters because it was so hard for him to hear the boos. Um, but also, I think this all goes back to the general manager, Doug Armstrong, who frankly has done a pretty poor job of. Um, He's flailing Transitioning right from that Stanley Cup core, which had Ryan O'Reilly and Alex Petrangelo, to whatever the Blues are right now. And what the Blues are right now is a complete mess. Can I just, like, this is Doug Armstrong's failing. A hundred percent. So to take you through the chronology of this, um, in 2019, he's got this team, this rudderless team that's right near the bottom of the NHL standings. He has this fourth down Hail Mary move where he brings in Craig Berube and Jordan Bennington takes over in goal and they take off like no other franchise in NHL history. They go from worst to first. They win the Stanley Cup. You know, they exit the sad club. It's great. You know, the Blues are the talk of the hockey world. And then I think maybe, maybe he bought into the magic and into the mystique a little bit too much. Maybe thought that this was a a more solid foundation as opposed to a magical run. And it was both. They had good players, but then the whittling away process started to happen, right? Petrangelo gone, Ryan O'Reilly gone. Big key fundamental parts of a team that, let's be clear, embodied how Craig Berube wanted to play hockey. They out-Bruins the Bruins in that Stanley Cup final. Ryan O'Reilly. That's a guy that can play Craig Berube hockey. I know what Merrick was saying. Like, now in the modern version with the team that he's got, he'd take all Braden Shens and (laughs) Robert Mortuzos, right? (laughs) Anyway, Armstrong then puts the future of the franchise in the hands of Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. They're prospects. They're young guys. Their draft capital translated into these young, talented players. And then it didn't work. But Craig Berube was still the coach. And Thomas and Cairo were still the key guys on this team as guys like, you know, Petrangelo and O'Reilly left. And it was a terrible fit. Then the, the, the real crux happened at the end of last season because Armstrong, having committed big financial money to Thomas and Cairo, said at the end of the year, he's like, it's on these guys to get better and it's on us to figure out what makes these young guys tick mm-hmm. with their, their Instagrams and... Their Snapchats and everything else. Do we have the Berube audio from last February? Probably not at the ready, no. Oh, okay. But anyway, I mean, I, the, the synopsis of it was there was a divide between what the general manager and the coach knew that they needed and then what Cairo and Thomas were providing. And, you know, they said things like, you know, these guys don't care about the team. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Berube saying, like, I don't know. I guess he said, I guess they don't care about the team. And then Robert Thomas pushed back and he said that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, But, you know, when it came to Jordan Cairo, look, I know we don't look at plus minus as much anymore, but the guy was a minus 38 last season. And the issue was that 
I think Armstrong and Berube knew what it took to win because they had won. And Thomas and Cairo thought they knew. Then <laughs> that's a big difference, right? Between actually knowing and thinking that you know. Because all Berube kept saying is, these guys aren't giving enough. And I don't think that it's through any fault of their own. Maybe they just don't even know what it takes to get there. So I want to play the audio from last night. Because Jordan Cairo, and look, here's the thing. The guy obviously cares. This is why I say like they maybe they think that they know what it takes as opposed to actually knowing because he cares. He was very upset yesterday that he got booed on home ice in a win, I will remind you. They beat the Ottawa Senators last night uh, getting a win for their new head coach, Drew Bannister. But while that was happening, Jordan Cairo was getting booed by the mm-hmm. fans who knew that he was part of the reason the Bruway was fired. Well, he also made those comments, right? He made the comments, yeah. and the fans liked Craig Berube. He was a coach that brought them a Stanley Cup. You know, it's hard mm-hmm. to, you're not knifing a, a respected and beloved head coach in the back, but you certainly didn't help him stay employed. And then when he left, you were kind of callous in your remarks, Jordan Cairo. So the fans let him know about it yesterday. They booed him. Uh, here's the post-game audio. If you haven't heard it, Jordan Cairo uh, getting visibly visibly shaken and starting to cry uh, in his post-game availability following a 4-2 win over the Ottawa Senators on Thursday night. Um, it's definitely the toughest game I've probably played, to be honest. But Any of your teammates or anybody from the organization talk to you about it? Um, I mean, obviously my teammates have my back, right? So You're getting pretty emotional here. Where are the emotions coming from? just tough right like you know i love playing here so it's just it's tough to hear the fans booing me there sorry uh so good that team on, is a complete mess it is good a, on you for astutely mess. pointing out that the blues are a mess and i don't know where they go from here really yeah you look at the way that the roster's constructed and the guys that they've got well do they have to bring in a new coach that's going to be nice to jordan Cairo and robert thomas right that's why they brought in uh what's his name well drew bannister's a uh, interim coach i don't think he's uh you know he's going to get the chance to be, you know, have his name in the hat, but I think they just, I think Doug Armstrong had to fire Craig Brew because things were going so badly. Uh, Pierre Lebrun did throw it out there that Bannister is going to be considered for the long-term gig, but you got, remember when Craig Berube won the Stanley Cup, technically he was the Wesley, I'm coach. so surprised that you haven't gone off on giving these young players these long-term contracts out of their ELCs. Because this is the risk you run. Like, I mean, they're, may, the, maybe, they're the textbook example. Maybe the maybe you know if you if yeah they might turn into great deals. They might turn into great deals, and they still could for the Blues. Those guys are still pretty young. They're mid twenties. But what if they aren't the guys to build your team around? What if that proves? What if they aren't ready for that job? And we saw it a little bit earlier in the season with Matthew Boldy under a lot of pressure in Minnesota. That led to a coach firing, and fortunately he's bounced back a little bit since John Hines took over. But you put a lot of pressure on these young players to carry the mail when you give them these deals. They go from the, the young, you know, innocent kids that are making next to nothing on their ELCs to like, hey, kid, time to perform. Let's go. Yeah, now you're getting booed and you're crying. I mean, it, that's how quickly <laughs> you're getting... And now you're getting booed and you're crying. And that's what to happens guy, with these long-term contracts. The they guy, all are the same. To the guy texting in that millennials are weak, he's got to be careful because I might start crying. That is a very rude comment to make. Are you triggered? I'm triggered. Millennials are not weak. <laughs> Don't worry, like I'll give this. you a participation ribbon in the in the break. Thank I like you. this. You think a player from the '80s would be crying about fans booing? 
I actually texted that in, so uh, well, that I mean, was my text. Probably be <laughs> from, from Jason Brum to Jason Brum. You would bury those tears. It'd probably you would be, bury them. They'd be super high on coke. They wouldn't know what's going on. That's true. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Rick Dolly Wall. Rick Dolly Wall. It's time for Rick Dolly Wall. Rick Dolly Wall. It's time for Rick Dolly Wall. Rick Dolly Wall. It's time for Rick Dolly Wall. Rick Dolly Wall. It's time for Dolly. Rick Dolly Wall. It's time for Rick Dolly Wall. Rick Dolly Wall. It's time for Dolly. Rick Dolly Wall. It's time for Rick Dolly Wall. Rick Dolly Wall. 802 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. We are in Hour 3 of the program. Rick Dollywall is going to join us in just a moment here to kick off Hour 3. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell and Pound and Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound? Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. To the phone lines we go. It's Friday. It's 8 o'clock. That can only mean one thing. It's time now for the human wagon, Rick Dollywall, here on the Halford & Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Rick? Positivity. Positivity. That's what it's going to be today. Poopa, I say, to your positivity. What did you think of last night? Well... First of all, 20 wins in 30 games. Like, I mean, did either one of you honestly think that they'd be, no. you know. Rick, you know, I have 20... never been more surprised by a team than I am of the Vancouver Canucks this season. That's it. Ever. That's it. That's it. This is it's shocking to me. And, you know, the big I, I know there's people out there trying, you know, wishing they're going to fail. But we said at the 10-game mark, then the 15-game, then the 20-game mark, are they going to, you know, regress and are, are they going to fall down? We're at the 30-game mark, and one team's got more points in the NHL Vegas. That's it. I think we can say it's a good team that's well-coached, and the players are buying into their roles and identity. Again last night, balanced ice time. Everyone got ice time. And you're not overplaying your stars. You're using all four lines, 60. That's huge. Because if they do go to the playoffs, the last thing you need is is Pedersen, Hughes, Heronic, and you know, and Miller and, and and Besser to be, you know, dead tired. The last three games, the ice time has been very, very balanced. Top forward last night, eighteen minutes. Zadorov, you know, led all D with twenty one minutes. I don't think anyone's saying they're winning the cup, but brought your tweet last night. You were bang on. After the last ten years and what these hockey fans in this city have had to put up with, how is this not one of the, one of the best stories? in the NHL. And for and, and one more final thing. You can't say they're beating up on weak teams. And by the way, every game is tough. You, even the weak teams, you got to beat them. Four of the five games on this homestand were against tough teams. You know, they beat Carolina, Tampa Bay, and Florida, and lost to the Devils on a atrocious mistake in the last minute. So it's, uh, you know, it's hard not to be impressed by what they're doing right now. Well, it was great. I thought Luongo really got the crowd warmed up when he said, you know, it's hockey's fun in Vancouver again. And he said, I'm happy for you guys because you deserve yeah. it. And uh, he's right. It is it is fun to watch these guys. We don't know what's going to happen with the team, no. but but no, we're no invested in it yeah. Right. Well, we don't know. We, we just have no idea. But, like, think of the last few years. 
we knew what was going to happen. They were going to miss the playoffs. That's right. Right? Like, and it was just like, oh my God, we got how many more games of this do we have? And all of it would be just like big picture conversations about what they should do. What I enjoy now is actually talking about, you know, the third line is playing well. Um, you know, what do they do now when Pew Suter comes back into the lineup? You know, that's the type of stuff, the day to day stuff that we kind of stopped doing the last. Is back in the lineup. They're not missing. They're not making the playoffs. Oh. Is that fun for you as well? Oh, fun is uh, fun. Yes, and and three goals from the bottom uh, six last night, uh, Jason. Um, two goals by Joshua. I, you know, somebody tweeted last night. You know, uh, the pro scouts on Joshua. I want to make one thing very clear. Abbotsford GM Ryan Johnson did the bulk of the work getting Joshua to sign in Vancouver, and you know he's now what did, what did he score last night? He's fifth or sixth. He's a UFA. Yep. There's another player. That's another guy who was in Tockett's doghouse and then worked his way out of it. He was called out of camp for being not in shape. He was healthy scratched. He came back from his healthy scratch with 12 hits in the next two games. Just like Hoaglander and Kuzmenko now, these guys are getting into the doghouse, but they're understanding and realizing what it takes to get out uh, of, of Tockett's doghouse. And Kuzmenko's got goals in back-to-back games. So a lot of the credit I, um, uh, for me it goes to the head coach. They're, they're buying what he's preaching. And, you know, they understand their roles and identities. I mean, this is a, this is a, I, I, I give talk a lot of credit uh, for what's happening. And he's now using four lines and 60, which he wasn't doing last year. And none of the coaches in the last three years were doing that. They were overplaying the stars and they're not doing that anymore. Hey, Rick, I know you want to talk about this. What did you make of Jim Rutherford's media tour? <laughs> That's what it was. It was a media tour. Rutherford is clearly in a better frame of mind than last year when he cut off the media and there was so much turmoil, so much negativity last year, so many tire fires away from the rink. But Did he cut off the media or was he cut off from the media? No, I think he did. I think, uh, you know, it's his first go around in a Canadian market. And last year, there was so many negative stories, but it wasn't just on the ice. They were losing. There was the Boudreaux thing, the Rachel Dory thing. There was uh, just so many tire fires. I, I think he just walked away from the media. I, I think it, in a Canadian market, it, it gets to everybody. It, it, they're all human. Uh, you know, nobody likes to read uh, yourself getting ripped in the paper or on social media or whatever. I, I think he walked away. But I, I think this year is different. They're winning. There's no tire fires. He's feeling good. This month was the two-year anniversary of his arrival. I told you guys a few weeks ago, he's got a great relationship with the owner, Francesco Aquilini. The two have already started talking about an extension. Aquilini is clearly letting him do his job. He wouldn't be talking extension if he wasn't letting him do his job. Rutherford's 74 years old now. He's in good health. His family loves it in Vancouver. There's no reason why he should not sign an extension. There's a couple of points I want I want to mention uh, to both of you from the Rutherford interviews this week. And by the way, all four outlets uh, got them, did a good job with them. There's going to, they're going to take their time on free agent players. They have a whopping nine players on their roster who are UFAs. They're not in a hurry to make those decisions yet on players like Tyler Myers. Myers is going to be interesting because if they can't land another right shot deep, I can see them keeping him all season. And who exactly is going to cover his 18, 19 minutes every night if they trade him? He played 20 last night, by the way, guys. 20. Not 18, 19, but 20. So that's going to be an interesting situation as we get closer to the trading deadline. Also, he gave you a glimpse of his view on prospects and development. He thought Hoaglander was rushing into the NHL. 
He said the plan plan with Bud Colson, not to rush him. He's going to let him play and play and play. When he gets to Vancouver, he'll have 100% confidence. Would not surprise me, guys, if Bud Colson is down in Abbotsford all season long. It gives you insight in how Rutherford is going to deal with Jonathan LaCaramacchi and Tom Olander as well. Rutherford, if you look at his history, he does not rush prospects, and he, I don't think he's going to start doing that in Vancouver. We're speaking to Rick Dollywall, Cox reporter from the Donnie and Dolly Show on Check TV here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, you mentioned the media tour. I mentioned the Donnie and Dolly Show. I saw the clip where uh, Rutherford was on your show talking about Ethan Bear and Ethan Bear's decision not to sign with the Vancouver Canucks. Now, I wasn't reading or trying to hear things that weren't there. Rutherford sounded a little annoyed that they lost out on Bear, did he not? Yeah, he did, and you're bang on, and I'll tell you why. Because the Canucks thought they were the frontrunners. They were very disappointed. I'm going to tell you right now, they were disappointed. They thought they could get Bear for $1 million on a one-year deal, but as soon as Bear got term from another team, it was over for the Canucks. Uh, Bear's expected to sign a two-year deal in Washington, just a tad over $4 million. If you're coming off a 10-month injury like Bear, and a team offers you term, you take it. The Canucks were in no position to do term. They can't. They can't. They were willing uh, to do one year and then take a look at him again uh, to re-sign him in the offseason. Uh, they wanted him bad, and I'll tell you why, guys, because they didn't have to give up an asset to get him. So the Canucks and Bear, I do want to get this in. We're talking about a three-year three, yeah, three year deal last year. I believe it was close to $3 million a year before he got hurt at the Worlds. They were not far apart on that three-year deal. But talks broke down, and then things changed. Uh, they really changed after he got hurt at the World Hockey Championships. And now you guys want to know why players get insurance when they go to the Worlds? This is why. And uh, Ethan Bear did get insured, and uh, you know he's been taken care of this year of that insurance but uh it's it's uh, this is the this is the danger that you get when you send players to the worlds and bear ends up 10 months out but look they wanted them bad they thought they were the front runners but as soon as the term was on the table everything changed speaking of term how much is nikita zadorov going to want oh that's a good question um that's a good one because when you look at defensemen available on July 1st, the Dorofs, oh boy, he's going to have a lot of interest. Is I don't know if you guys saw this, but Milstein quote tweeted. Is that what they call it? A quote tweet? Uh, I, I, yes, I think so. Yeah. Somebody tweeted that the Canucks are uh, four and one since they acquired. Well, they'd be five and one since they got Zadorov. And Milstein quote tweeted the the money sign. <laughs> Whenever an agent does that, <laughs> you know that uh, he's looking at something. But anyways, the Canucks will have big time interest to re-sign Zadorov, but it won't be cheap. And it looks like Zadorov will be looking for term. Um, most of the defensemen on July first, if you look at the list right now, are over thirty years old. They're thirty two, thirty three, thirty four. Now there's guys like. Zadorov and Hannafin, who are not. They're 26, 27, 28. That's why he's in a position to ask for more term. Zadorov's age is, is going to help him on July 1st get term. Rick Tockett loves this guy. Tockett's fingerprints were all over the, the trade to get him. The Canucks have the advantage of talking to him, obviously, before July 1st, but this might be a little bit tougher than most people think. Let all deal with 21 minutes last night. So they got to resign Petey. They got to resign Philip Peronek. They got to resign Nikita Zadorov. Um, where well, does there's more. like I, and and there's more. They're they're like Lafferty's a pending more. UFA. Bluger's a pending UFA. Ian Cole's a pending UFA. Oh. Um, so where does it 
Like, do they, I mean, are they going to be able to keep all these guys? Because no, I think, no. I think that what we're, a lot of people are wondering right now is like, okay, the Canucks have gotten to the level right they are right now. And, you know, as optimistic as we've been and uh, complimentary as we've been, even guys like you and me are like, they're not cup contenders yet. So how do they get to that level um, considering they've got, you know, they, they do have some nice prospects, but I feel like those guys are a few years away. Yeah, they are. And it, it, Rutherford hinted this week, don't expect, you know, us to, to, to go make massive trades. There's something to say about chemistry. Go look at the Rangers last year. Who did they get? Tarasenko and Kane out in the first round. Yeah. There's something to say about, you know, talking his guys you know you mentioned all those ufa players uh, they got nine ufas on their roster right now the guys i see them signing are zadorov bluger to smith lafferty and, and, and dakota J- joshua those are the myers i don't know what's going to happen with myers if they do resign him you know they're gonna i, I, I would you do a, a two million dollar deal with myers for another couple of years sure yeah um, maybe i know, consider it considering the yeah. considering the absolute lack of right shot defensemen that's available it. And that's it. The other one I want to mention to you guys is is that uh, Juleson. I can see him staying in Vancouver all season. If they acquire another right shot D, he's still a good depth piece. I was told that even if Ethan Bear signed in Vancouver, Juleson wasn't going to go anywhere. Uh, they they really been happy with him. Uh, it's a right shot D depth. Last night I think he played close to 16 minutes. He's been really good in the last week week and a half. So there's something to say about chemistry as well, guys. This is looks like a tight knit group, um, you know. But they they got these nine. UFAs. You know, you look at Calgary and all their UFAs, and what do they do with Tanev? You know, what do they do with Lindholm and Hannafin and all these guys? Canucks are in a bit of a different position because you, clearly it looks like they're going to the playoffs and uh, the urgency isn't there to do anything with their UFA players right now, and they're in a much better spot in Calgary. So you got to keep an eye on chemistry. You got Like, it's rolling good. All these guys are believing what Tockett is, uh, is, is preaching. It's a pretty good setup right now. I, I wonder if, uh, you, you know, I if you're expecting a big trades, Jason, to add at the deadline, I don't think that I, – I, I just don't see that. Um, hey, Rick, I want to ask you and ask us anything if you've got time. And we asked Moj this uh, in the last one. Who do you Moj, think right? Who do you think the next Ring of Honor Canuck is going to be? Oh, for crying out loud. This is so easy. It's Tony Tanti for crying out loud. <laughs> what? Like, the, the, Wouldn't he be in already? No, Tony Tanti's not in, no. No, wouldn't he be in already if it's that easy? Okay, okay, but you explain to me who scored 40 goals more than Tony Tanti? Who scored over over 30 more than Tanti on crappy teams in the 80s? For me, it's Tanti, and it's not even close. I, I, I know what you're saying, if it was, it was, if it was, but for me, it's Tony Tanti. I, I grew up watching the guy, I, you know, I grew up with the, the Petri Squico, uh, Tony Tanti, Smeal Green, Fraser, those guys. I hey, love Don't forget guys. about Patrick Sundstrom. 91 points. Uh, that was the team record. Uh, it was his birthday yesterday. He was on DTMZ. I love Patrick Sundstrom, uh, Lars Moline, Peril of Brassard. Hey, what about, what's his name? Uh, the number nine <laughs> oh, there. That guy. Uh, no, no, the guy that came from Atlanta. Oh, I can't remember his name. <laughs> Donnie, uh, uh, Boulderab, Boulderab, Ivan Boulderab. Are you kidding me? I love Ivan Boulderab. Donnie remembers this. Listen, those guys, Tony Tanti, why is he not in, Jason? Like, I don't why? know. I don't know. I don't like, know. I have come no idea. on, people at the Canucks office, wake the hell up! How is Tony? Who scored more goals? I mean, you know, all the. the, the anyways, to answer your question, Jason, it's Tony Tanti, and you know, people at the Canucks office, wake the hell up! It's Tony Tanti. Rick, it's always an adventure. You're Thanks, the best, buddy. buddy. Have a great weekend.
Adios. Right. Rick Dollywall, Canucks reporter from Donnie and Dolly. Also playing uh, everyone's favorite game of our age group. Just name some old Canucks. Yeah, and forgetting it a little bit and yep. then remembering it. Yep. It doesn't have to be for any particular reason. They don't have to be good. They don't have to be bad. Robert Nordmark. Yep. I don't Robert. know a ton about Tony Tanti. He had 45 Honestly. goals one season, and that was, when I was a kid growing up, there were two teams that didn't have 50-goal scorers. It was New Jersey, who still, I, I don't think they've ever had a 50-goal no. scorer, no. and it was the Canucks, and the Canucks also never had a 100-point guy. So I think it was in the same season, Tanti got 45 high goals, mm-hmm. and Sundstrom had 91 points, and those were the team records until Pavel Bure came along. And it was always kind of embarrassing, like in the 80s, when, you know, even in our division... The Smite division, like, mm-hmm. you know, the Kings had Marcel Dion, who would consistently put up 100 points. The Jets had Dale Howarchuk, like, and the Canucks had no 50-goal guys and right. no 100-point guys. And that was really why the Canucks never really became, I don't want to call them a serious franchise, but, like, they entered a new era when Pavel Bure arrived. Yuri Slager! That's part of the game. Anyway, nice. um, so I... I when I was working at, I'll use that term loosely, but when I was working at the athletic, um, I, for some reason I decided that I was going to do the world's deepest, most exhaustive dive into how the ring of honor works. I remember that. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. You know what? It wasn't all bad. Most of it was, but, um, there were parts that I remember that stood out anyway. <laughs> um, so the one thing I remember in trying to figure out the criteria and how the process goes is there wasn't anything super formal, including there was no sort of chronological order to it. When they first started it, it was almost like a backlog of guys that they needed to get. It's like, we need to get to some of these guys. They've been yeah, yeah. they've been in the community for too long, and we're just going to start doing it random and willy-nilly. So the first one was Orland Kurtenbach, and that's like a nod and an homage to the start of the franchise, the original captain, the original, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, and the date of induction on that was 2010. Like this is this is the the Ring of Honor has not been around even for the entire life of Rogers Arena. And Kurtenbach, then they jumped way forward and the second inductee was Kirk McLean. So they jumped about 20, 30 years ahead mm-hmm. and said we're going to go straight to, you know, the Kirk McLean era. And they were like, "Can you crank a horn?" That was last night. And then after McLean, they went back again and they put Thomas Gradine in. So they went back to the 70s and early 80s. And Harold Snaps. Right. And then Pat Quinn. And then they jumped forward again <laughs> and went with Matthias Olin. So the reason that I bring this up is like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that one day they wake up and they're like, okay, Tony Tanti. It seems it's your like time. Yeah. There's no rhyme or reason to the, you know, this guy's from this era. This guy's from that era. Right. It just, they can just put him in at any point. I think Tony Tanti should be in the ring of honor. I wonder if sometimes that you bring up, he, for the longest time, he was the lone star of the Vancouver Canucks and he had a good perm. He did have a good perm. Yeah. Um, (laughs) do you think sometimes they look at their schedule and they're like, ah, we don't have anything to think for this game. (laughs) Right. We, (laughs) we need a ring of honor guy. One of of the three games. (laughs) Dial up a ring of honor guy real quick. One of the three games this year where we don't have a pregame ceremony. (laughs) Or they theme. might as well just start saying puck drop every game is at like six seven twenty from now on. Like that's yeah. just, that's puck drop. Seven twenty. It's not seven, seven twenty. Well, I always look, is it a one anthem game or is it a two anthem game? Right. I used to when I used to go to the games in the press box, I would pride myself on getting there right a puck drop. Right. Yeah. 
because um, that's it is now. I mean, it's one of the great sort of like. That's why I didn't have to talk to any of the. No, it's too. it's one of the great untolds in the <laughs> NHL. Is buried in either the daily email or the notes for the game. They'll always put the actual puck drop is seven seventeen, but they don't want right. to advertise it. Mm-hmm. Right? The Whitecaps do the same thing. Mm-hmm. They send out a game day email, and then at the very bottom, mm-hmm. it's like. Uh, official kickoff will be at 7.23 this evening. You need the printout they give to the visiting team yeah. that has the actual... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come to the field at this time. Yeah, that'd be yeah. good if they if they cut the anthems. I'm good with that. Uh, Ian Mendez not, Oh, is it because you, you hate Canada? Yeah, right. I'm not a big anthem guy. He's American. Yeah. Not a big anthem guy. You're just going to show up burning the flag yeah. next, I bet. <laughs> um, so, Ian Mendez... Or, or if it's going to be an anthem, sing it really quickly. Ian Mendez has a story about this in the... Is this why you're mentioning this? Or well, this yeah, no, actually, nothing? a texter texted it in as well. Oh, okay. Texted it in the link, yeah. And he wrote it because uh, there was another anthem. I think it was in Buffalo this past week that got royally butchered. There was two this week. Was there one with the Flames involved, right? I don't know. There were two I just know anthems. the Buffalo one. I forget the team's playing, but there were two, one was the Flames game and another one It's unfortunate was... we don't have the audio at the ready. We just kind of came up with this. But I, the... I have one, actually. Do you? Yeah. Okay, I'll... Maybe the best powering through of a butchered anthem ever. Because I was listening to her a sing real, it. A real Halford-esque she anthem. Was, she embodied everything I want to be in an anthem. And, and after the anthem, in Halford fashion, she was like, I almost screwed that up. Yeah, she's like, but I think I got it. Everyone's like, no. That anthem it was in Minnesota against Calgary. Was okay, the one that let's hear it. In all of us command, from far and wide we see thee rise, the true north strong and free. From far and wide, oh Canada, we stand on guard for thee. Our anthem is so repetitive. You, you know ever, what? You if I, that's a good powering through. Because if you got to the far and wide part, and you're like, I think I already said this. Yeah. But, but you just keep going. That is one far and wide country. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't know the lyrics. Sing that one again. Maybe do, they'll do buy you know, it. That is another reason why I sometimes get uncomfortable during anthems. And it's why I always appreciated uh, their old anthem singer, Richard Loney. Yeah. That guy was such a pro. But sometimes they'll bring out the anthem singer and it's like his or her first time yeah. doing the anthem. Or sometimes when they really want to make me nervous, they'll bring out a kid yeah. to sing the anthem. And I'm just like... It feels like I'm on a flight that has really bad turbulence, and I just sometimes I'm that's just the most exciting part of the game. Get th- it is it's a it's a rush, but not yeah. a, it's not a good rush. Well, does my wife else, does anthems. Does anyone else feel like that? Though, oh, totally. When you're watching an anthem and you're like, oh, this is going sideways, and yeah. that person is out there all alone. Yeah, nobody. That's what we, honestly, nobody's there to save him. I I I know I'm maybe making a bit much of this, but Luongo to go out there with just her microphone and talk. No notes. As long as he did, and as well as he did, and he was getting a little bit emotional too, and just to, you know, I, again, he was kind of beating himself up uh, for forgetting to, to mention his goalie coaches, and he, and he mentioned them, and he thanked them with his, during the intermission with Murph, but like, to be able to do that, that takes something special, like, point, what, 0.1% of players could do that? Maybe, maybe, maybe even less. Maybe even less. Like how many of them would want most to go of them up go there, up and there do with that? it? Most That's of them go up with an incredibly hard skill. For most, sure. most, most go up with you a speech are, written. Right? You are all by yourself. Yeah. And not only are you there. doing it, you're doing it well. I mean, a lot of people can yeah. go up and do it and it's awful. Yeah, but true. very few can go up and do it and also command the audience and everyone's hanging on his every word. Laddie, were you going to say something? Well, yeah, I was talking about the anthems. My wife sings anthems for all various teams around the area. So if you want a perspective from an anthem singer of what it's like, 
Does she get nervous or does she enjoy performing? She enjoys it. I don't think she's ever been nervous, honestly. Really? Yeah, the the bigger the crowd, the better. Because when you can hear them singing along with you, I think think she enjoys that rather than singing. We should get her to sing the anthem for every show. (laughs) I'm sure people would love that. Start with the anthem. Why not? Can we do a double anthem? We we broadcast into America. When we have Brady Henderson on, we can do the American anthem. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.